Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do military personnel have more alien abduction experiences than other people? If you are quote-unquote dead, should you really walk into that quote-unquote light? Can a car be haunted? Hello and welcome hun- welcome to the 774th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM, and this is our 11th year on the air. I'm Ben, and those diverse questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and dad, Paul. Uh, today, uh, we bring you the second of two back-to-back open-line shows with our special guest co-host, Shane Searway. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be back for a second week in a row. And if you'd like to be part of the show today, call us at 401-766-1240 from anywhere, or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Okay, well, let's uh, hurl ourselves back into this mo- mountain of emails Back here. into the fray. Yes. Uh, now, we have um, uh, a special uh, guest calling, a special guest, uh, well, special caller uh, calling in uh, momentarily to answer uh, a couple of questions from uh, Peter uh, here, and uh, who is actually from Columbia, South America, who has written in a couple of questions about uh, men in black and alien abduction of military personnel. So we'll uh, wait until... Uh, our caller, uh, who th- this is her domain, so don't worry, I'm uh, vigilantly staring at the phone. Yes, sir, please, I can't hear. All right, all right. So here's one from. Uh, well, you'll have to vigilantly stare at the uh, question here. Uh, this is from Frank in Wildwood, Missouri. Okie doke. So Frank uh, asks us. This is not a criticism, just a question. Uh, you guys claim a 100% success rate in curing parasites. Oh, of course, as soon as I look at <laughs> the phone rings. <laughs> That's right. No, no, no. So we'll, we'll, we'll put your question, question on hold, Frank. Very good, yes. Uh, we'll uh, wait with bated breath here, Frank. Uh, thank you for writing in. Uh, so, um, again, uh, Peter from Columbia, South America, has written in reference to uh, close encounters with um, uh, men in black and alien abduction of military personnel. Two different questions. And we have uh, Kathleen Martin, our uh, good friend and um, very uh, frequent guest calling in. And uh, we'll get her here in a minute. And she has, uh, has seen these and is going to address. Uh, Kathy Martin? Yes. Well, welcome Hello. aboard. Nice to talk to you again. Thank, thank okay. you. Great to be on again. Perfect timing. Uh, so we're dealing with Peter's questions. Peter is from Columbia, South America, and he wanted to know... Uh, about close encounters, can you share any interesting, perhaps unknown or little-known stories on close encounters with men in black? Take it away, Kathy. It's your domain. Yes. Well, the most interesting story of men in black that I've ever come across involves a case that took place in Oxford, Maine, on October 27, 1975, and it involved two young men. It was 3 o'clock in the morning when they were still up in their... Uh, trailer home, and they heard a loud crashing sound. They rushed to the window and uh, looked outside, and they saw a police car and a fire truck racing down the road. So they went out to see what was going on. They were not using any light, and momentarily they went racing up in the other direction. So... Glenn and David decided to get into their car and drive to a lake where they thought perhaps uh, that the uh, vehicles were going to. And suddenly, while they were driving along, their car started to ascend. And uh, instead of the bumpy New England roads, the, the 
the uh, it became very smooth. They saw a blinding, pulsating white light, and then they saw blue, red, and green light. And then they were aware that there was a gigantic craft about the size of a football field, they estimated, above them. They lost uh, two to three hours of uh, conscious recall. But they found themselves in the middle of a field, and the car windows had been rolled up. Now they were rolled down. The doors had been locked. Now they were unlocked. And they had symptoms physical symptoms. They were in shock. They couldn't even speak fluently. They went to the um, to one of the, the boys' parents' homes. Uh, their hands were red and swollen. They had rings around their eyes, and one had a ring around his neck, kind of a yellowish ring. Um, and they were home two eight days later when a tall man in a business suit knocked on the door. They opened it up, and he threatened them. He said, you'd better not talk about this to anyone. But then David did. And he went to a Dr. Herbert Hopkins, who lived in Old Orchard Beach, Maine. And Dr. Hopkins hypnotized David. And under hypnosis, David remembered being on a craft with entities who were about four and a half feet tall. They were completely hairless. They had pale, whitish skin, just tiny noses, almost nothing for ears, uh, large, slanted eyes, and uh, hands with three fingers with webbing in between and a thumb. And so Dr. Hopkins uh, had all of the investigation records for these men, these young men and had done the hypnosis. He had the audio of the hypnosis. And one night he was home alone in 1976. This was September 11, 1976, so a little less than a year later when he received a phone call. The phone call was from a man who claimed that he was the head of a UFO research group in New Jersey. And uh, he asked if he would be able to come and talk to him about this case. So Dr. Hopkins said yes, um, told him how to find him. And as soon as he hung up the phone, there was a man standing at the door. And he could not understand why this man was at the door so soon. The man was kind of odd-looking. He was about five foot six. He was wearing an old-fashioned black suit, black tie, shoes with spats, a derby hat, and gray gloves on his hands. His face was pasty white, and there was absolutely no hair visible on his body. And no hair on his head, no eyelashes, no eyebrows, and he had very tiny, low ears. Something else that was very strange is this little man was wearing red lipstick that came off on the glove when, when he put it up to his mouth. And he also spoke in a very monotone voice. So Dr. Hopkins invited the man in for a visit, and... Uh, he went in, he sat down on the couch, and he said to Dr. Hopkins, uh, 
I know that you have uh, the investigation reports and the hypnosis tapes for this case, don't you? And Dr. Hopkins said, yes, I do. So the man said to him, well, I know you have two coins in your pocket, don't you? And Dr. Hopkins reached into his pocket and he said, yes, I have two coins in here. And he said, put one back and just hold the penny in your hand. And um, so Hopkins did, and he held his hand in an outstretched fashion. And this entity looked at that coin and turned it from copper to silver color and then to blue. And then the edges of the coin became fuzzy, and then the coin vanished. And Dr. Hopkins said, well, that's a pretty good magic trick. How did you do that? I want my penny back. And the strange little man said, it will never be seen on this plane again. And then he threatened Dr. Hopkins. He said, uh, well, you, you know that Barney Hill died, don't you? And Dr. Hopkins said, yes, I think he had a heart attack, which is wrong. He was incorrect. It was a, a cerebral hemorrhage. Yeah, it was your but, uncle. Um, it was my uncle, yes. And this strange little man said to him, well, if you don't destroy your tapes and your investigation files, the same thing is going to happen to you. So uh, then the little man said that he was getting weak, his energy was low, and he had to leave. Don, he went to the door, he went out, Dr. Hopkins saw a bright flash of white light, and the man simply disappeared. And Dr. Hopkins then destroyed all of the records that he had on this case. But my aunt, Betty Hill, heard about it, and she went up and she interviewed Dr. Hopkins and wrote down everything that he said pertaining to this men in black experience. So it was very bizarre, uh, very threatening, of course, and uh, so Dr. Hopkins gave up his interest in that case completely. Pretty amazing. Can't it say is. I blame him. Yeah. <laughs> no. And uh, so I wondered uh, how many people said that, uh, believe that they have had interaction with men in black who had threatened them in some way. And so Dr. John C. Donjerry and I conducted a study, a comprehensive study on experiencers. Uh, and we took about three years to do this. We had 516 people who said that they were experiencers who participated in this study. They believed either they had friendly contact or they had been abducted, most thought abducted. And what we found was about 9% said that they had had contact with men in black or been threatened by men in black. It was 45 out of 508 of the respondents hmm. in this case. That's pretty amazing. Now, on uh, <clears throat> Peter's second question, <clears throat> the alien abduction of military personnel, uh, what say you on that, Kathy? Well... I, I do say that I have been contacted by military personnel who uh, have uh, claimed close encounters 
and abductions. For the most part, uh, they wanted strict confidentiality, but I have one case where um, the man uh, wants anonymity but not confidentiality, so I can talk about him. Uh, He uh, is a reserve army officer, and he was out on a a night training mission with troops when they had a close encounter with a UFO. It hovered just above the treetops. He wasn't aware of missing time. He simply didn't know. But after this happened, he and his wife started having periodic encounters where uh, they would have lights in their rooms, they would be aware that something unusual was happening, and then they would have a period of missing time. In uh, one case, I have a video because they had uh, a video camera set up in their bedroom, and I had the video of them uh, in sort of a highly aware uh, or highly charged situation, uh, he, they were back-to-back on the bed, sitting down. Uh, he was taking the door. She was covering the window. Uh, they knew that these non-human entities were going to enter the house that had it happened enough times before. And so what I got on the camera was they're in this position and There is light in the room coming in, and then suddenly the camera shuts down for two hours and 11 minutes, and then they are lying down in that bed. And this camera has frames that are numbered, and uh, it shows, it indicates the time that it was taken. There's no way that there could have been a hoax perpetrated here. And uh, that was pretty remarkable. They still let me know from time to time when uh, they have a visitation in their room. One night um, they knew this was happening, and she woke up down with her head down at the uh, foot of the bed where she, where she had been sleeping with her head on the pillow. So, and sometimes she wakes up, sometimes she doesn't. Only he wakes up, and he is taken. All but right, this yeah. is one case of an individual who is a military officer that is having this occur. In your res- <clears throat> in your research, and Dr. Dendaris, uh, who he's been on the show too, uh, have you received the impression at all that military personnel are maybe abducted more than ordinary people? I'm just uh, taking a stretch from Peter's question here. Well, yes, you know, and I wish I had asked the question directly, were, uh, were you in the military or are you in the military? What I asked is, uh, were you raised in a military family? 19% of these experiencers said they were raised in a military family. That's 96 of 506 individuals. I asked if they had had a MILAB encounter where uh, a military abduction that involved non-human entities as well, Uh, 10% approximately, it was 50 out of 492 respondents said 
that they had had a Milab encounter. That's interesting. And before we let you go, uh, I had some contact, when I was in the military, I had some contacts this in the 70s at uh, Canadian Forces Base, Cold Lake, Alberta. And there were, while I was um, having these contacts, there were five enlisted personnel who had claimed that they had had either visitations and perhaps abductions. And this is in the 70s. And mm-hmm. people were talking about, and I didn't know a lot about it then. And I don't know if I know a lot about it now. But uh, they, were, they were saying that uh, they had had the visitations in their rooms, possible abductions. And the thing that, that popped into my mind was, uh, and they were talking at the time about genetic experiments, as you know, uh, being yeah. a possible motivation here. I'm thinking military personnel would presumably be uh, physically fit, uh, mentally strong, I mean, theoretically, and uh, yeah. that I wonder if that might have been a reason. What say you? Well, they might have made very good specimens. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't find out much about it at the time, and it was a long time ago. But Okay, we're going to move on to some other questions, but Kathy, you are indispensable. Thank you so much for calling in. Well, thank you for having me again. It was my pleasure. We'll have you Take back care. very soon. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, then. All right. Thank you, Peter, for writing in those uh, very interesting questions. And, uh, okay, let's get back to poor Frank from Wildwood, Missouri here. <laughs> uh, we can... Uh, Alrighty, let us take a look. Uh, So, again, Frank from Wildwood, Missouri writes to us, uh, This is not a criticism, just a question. Um, You guys claim a 100% success rate in curing parasites, but what happens if people do not cooperate with you? Okay. Well, I don't know. I never claimed 100% success rate on anything. Uh, However, um, I think I... What's that? I need that still. There's another question on there. Sorry, I gave that to you. Uh, oh, there, okay. Uh, <laughs> Shane, however, has a remarkable success rate with his particular approach to negative cases. So, Shane, if you want to take that one, uh, if people don't cooperate, what what happens then? <laughs> That's um, only ha- happened once, but yeah, out of all the people I've helped over the years, um, I've been able to help every single one of them except for one because he wasn't willing to listen. Um, it was a gentleman in New Hampshire um which you're familiar with um and he he basically he was being attacked by something his cat was being attacked and he reached out to a friend of ours who then turned it over to me and he thought you know he's part native american so he tried smudging and, and stuff like that he said he many many pounds of of sage he burnt in his house and it it's a lot of sage yeah and it was just getting worse and worse and worse so he thought that's what we're going to do. He thought that was the only way you're going to get rid of it, and I try to tell him that's just a tool, that's just a, t- a tactic, but we deal with it directly, and we're going to identify the root cause, and we're going to manipulate those mechanics, and we're going to get rid of it, and um, he just didn't get it. He, he just, you know, he thought it was going to be dancing around with feathers and smudge sticks, and yeah. and that's how we were going to get rid of it, and so when I try to explain the mechanics to him, he just didn't have the capacity to understand um the science behind what i was trying to tell him and he he had also been uh very volatile to to a previous investigator um harassing them uh calling them names calling them all all hours of the night oh i remember this yes he started doing the same thing to me um and the gentleman that put me in contact with him he even made a, a negative comment on your wall mm-hmm. about about us, and he was just a, a angry person, which was part of his problem. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what attracted this parasite to him. But in the end, he was unwilling to listen to, or I don't even think he he was 
capable of understanding the science. I just don't think he had the mental capacity. And that's not to insult him. He just he was a kind of a simple person and just didn't understand. He thought it was going to be, you know, uh, something else. Like, you know, the common t- tactics, which don't work very regularly, you know. Yeah. So um, that was the, the one time. I could have helped him, you know, absolutely. And it might have helped his medical condition, too, because he had a, a weird form of cancer that was attacking okay. his blood cells. So, and, and we find we get rid of the parasite a lot of times, people's conditions improve or disappear. And he just wasn't um, willing to, to listen to a new idea. So that was the one time where, um, and that was a great question by this, this listener, because most of the time I, I have various different ways to get people to open up about my, you know, my very unique way of dealing with the, the parasites. And, and usually it works. It, I, people will open up and listen and, and follow the, the direction, but this gentleman wasn't r- willing to do that. So, yeah. Well, you're very sincere, and, and, and you, you relate very well to people, I think better than I do, so that's probably the reason um, for such a success rate. Ben, any thoughts on this? Um, I always think it's interesting how um, other other approaches, like the pop paranormal kind of like approaches, are, are basically like, all right, cool, we're going to cure this by doing some sort of ritual we don't really understand and <laughs> so it's 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 seen as being mystical but without the mysticism in it it's basically just like you know it's like if somebody um i'm, I'm trying to think of a good example uh you fix up a car looks really great on the outside but just literally no parts on the inside like all you do is just throw on a fresh coat of paint you're like okay cool done you're ready to go and it just it, you don't do the hard work and you don't pay attention to what's really going on. Maybe the issue with the car is there's no engine in it at all. But, you know, fresh coat of paint, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, well that's it. Uh, you know, back in, in, you know, 45 years ago or so, and, and even to some extent today, I found people want you to come in and just fix the problem. And you can't do that. They have to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can, all you can just point out what it is, maybe, and what they can do, you know, what, wh- what changed that's feeding it and this sort of thing and when. And that sort of thing guide them to their own solution. And that's difficult for some people because they just, that's not the way they see it on TV. Right. You know, so I think that that's a, yeah. a very good question there. Thank you. Uh, so what's, what's our next one there? Uh, yes, this is from Pastor Joe, who I... Oh, Pastor Joe, I haven't heard from him in a long time. Yeah, it's actually what he starts off with. So, yeah. Hey, guys, it's been a few years since I last wrote in. Um, so he hops right into it by saying, from uh, my point of view and many others, we are in the end times. But Paul, with your varied seminary background, uh, you have a different point of view, and I have to say... Make points and ask questions that sometimes make me uncomfortable, especially when it comes to Good. Bible translations. <laughs> yeah. um, don't you feel the uh, increased, quote, parasite, unquote, activity you talk about and uh, the natural disasters and all the negative things that are happening are leading up to something like the Bible has predicted? Good grief. That's very complicated. Well, uh, we have a couple minutes to our break if you want to get started. Yeah, right. <laughs> take, Two minutes. Take, we can do Take yeah. some time and kind of... Yeah, 50 words or less. Uh, okay, there is a belief called, it's a tongue twister, millenarianism, hey. which essentially was, uh, is, is, uh, the, sort of assigning a timetable to apocalyptic events, okay? This was done, this was common in some of the groups, and there really was no early Christian church. There were a number of different groups that really didn't coalesce until St. Paul got his theology pretty much universal. And that didn't. That really took till like maybe the fourth century. 
Yeah, because okay. the, the Council of Chalcedon was in 380 or something, right? 382. Well, it was actually Nicaea, 325. Nicaea. Yeah. Three, but they, yeah, there were yeah. a bunch of councils. But anyway, before that, you had all kinds of different groups believing all kinds of different things that would be very uh, foreign to modern Christianity. And it's not just Christianity that had this millenarian kind of approach uh, with thousand-year segments and all this business. Uh, the, the Zoroastrianism. Which which had a tremendous influence on on Christian beliefs. Yeah, <laughs> uh, had that idea too, you know. And uh, we don't want to get into that now. We get into it in some of our books. But um, th- the idea is that there's going to be this. Uh, well, um, um, among the varied beliefs is you have the, this rapture. People are are taken into um, some sort of um, heavenly, taken right to heaven. And then there's a thousand year uh, utopia with Christ rules, and then there's the, it's it's very complicated and was not really that prominent in the belief of the church after 325 until modern times, when in the 19th century a lot of Protestant preachers kind of lit on this and started to promote it to the point where today uh, this is a common belief, and, and, and the Enos are an old Yankee family, and most of the people in our family are Protestants, and a lot of them take this uh, millenarian approach. Um, the early church, uh, from what the uh, Bible says, the New Testament says, which was not written until it was very influenced by St. Paul, uh, especially in Thessalonians, uh, mm-hmm. people would be taken up to meet God, Christ in the sky and all this business, and um, there were all sorts of beliefs that, that, that were coalesced into this kind of millenarian uh, kind of thing. They believed Christ would come back right away. Okay. And then when he didn't, because then there's the idea, well, he never left. Otherwise, what's the point? You know, I mean, theologically. But the idea that he would physically return and establish the kingdom of some sort of anti-Roman paradise in uh, an earthly kingdom began to become more spiritualized over the, as centuries passed and he didn't return in that form. Okay, so so the so which brings us to the idea not, not to uh, we'll have to take our break, but um, the idea that these are the end times. Well, the Christians believe that every, all times were the end times. So I'll take a break and uh, briefly talk about the rest of that when we come back. Anyway, you're I'm listening. Excited. You're listening. <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our special guest co-host today, Shane Searway. Our second of two back-to-back open line shows on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We will be right back. Stay with us. Hi, Parrot Head. This is Joe Callahan, your Mater D in the Tiki Bar every Tuesday night from 6 to 7. One full hour of nothing but Jimmy Buffett music. The Tiki Bar is brought to you by attorney Bob Lauder and by the Carew Investment Group. Well, there we go. Welcome back behind the paranormal, and we have an open line show today with us, with Ben and myself, and of course our special guest co-host Shane Searway. Uh, and we're dealing with a question now uh, from Pastor Joe in Albany, New York, whom we have not heard from in a long time. Yeah, it's been a few years. Yes, it has, and uh, I was glad glad that he's still uh, kicking. And just to finish up that thought and get out of some more questions, uh, the end times, again, uh, Christians at least have always believed it's the end times. Zoroastrians were kind of close to it. Uh, 
uh, Jewish people are kind of, you know, laid back, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of like their refreshing approach. So it all depends on, on your culture and what you believe and all this stuff. But as far as, um, in a way, uh, we, we dealt with this outside of the Christian and Jewish uh, paradigm with the 2012 beliefs. People say, oh boy, you know, the world's going to end on December 21st, 2012, and everybody's sitting there waiting for it to happen. In fact, uh, Ben and our relatives had a uh, end-of-the-world party, you know, the tongue-in-cheek, mm-hmm. and um, it's just, you know, obviously, and then, of course, nothing, well, things are always happening, but the world is still here, I think, anyway. And then, then there's the question of what does it even mean, the world ending? What, what, is it, what does it mean? The whole thing goes poof, we go poof, um, no more macaroni and cheese. I mean, what, 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 what does that even mean? So the end times, I don't know really what you might even call that, you know, Christ coming back. Uh, this really took off in the late 1960s, 50 years ago, with the books of Hal Lindsey, uh, the, the late great planet Earth, and all this business. But, um, but there's one thing that, 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 that's current in the New Testament and says, you know not the day nor the hour. So, I mean, just, I mean, whatever you believe, you should always be ready for uh, just you do what you're supposed to do, fulfill your responsibilities, love your family, love God. What else can you do? You know? And, uh, yeah, th- there seems to be more parasitical activity. There seems to be something leading up to a climax. But you can, you can turn to the holographic theory of physics for that, that the worlds eventually will combine into one, uh, the matrix will eventually combine into one great unity. You can go to the theology of Théâtre de Chardin for that. You can go to physics for it. Uh, something is always happening, and I think, yeah, there, there is a, a tendency toward an apex. Uh, but I don't know if it's, there's a, a particularly Christian theological uh, reason for that. I don't know. Uh, depends. So well, Revelation is a very uh, misunderstood document. Yeah, they almost didn't put it in the Bible. When they put the Bible together, the New Testament together in 325 at the Council of Nicaea, they, they said it was too weird, but it did get in. Right. Well, it is weird, but I mean, you have to take in the, the 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 events at the time, and you know, there's there's really like kind of three ways you can interpret it. You can interpret it literally, that you know, all these things are literally going to happen, or you know, two, you could take it as you know, s- signs or you know, basically just like symbolism of of things going on at the time, or two or three, you could take it as a political commentary, which more than likely was a political commentary. Because, well, yeah, because exactly. St. John was. Exiled to like um, the Isle of Patmos, yeah. So I mean, you know, of course he hated like Nero and like yeah. Well, if he wrote it, he would have been in his nineties. But you know, it's possible. Supposedly he dictated. But a lot of the stuff there was there were references in the the uh, the Old Testament prophets that that people say ah, it's you know thousands of years in the future referring to us, but it's actually believed it really referred to King Hezekiah in in the last centuries BC, and and then he ended up with uh, uh, things that that referred to the, uh, the the Roman sack of Jerusalem in 70 AD when the rebellion was taking like, these are these are all things that have very probably occurred long long time ago now, I don't know maybe maybe not but 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 the idea that they'd be talking about our time thousands of years later and then you know in, in the year 1000 AD everybody freaked and not everybody but a lot of people headed for the hills because 1000 had to be the magic number and it was just just a number assigned by people yeah. I don't know Shane do you, you want to get in on this? yeah yeah the problem I have with with um this topic it was a good question but the problem i have with the question is that perspective and that focus on on the end of the world is actually feeding in the hands of these parasites too so the, yeah. the meaning of of what i'm getting at is 
um, a lot of these religions are fear-based, and really they should be love-based and positive, you know, And but they're not. If you do this, you're going to burn in hell, and the end of the world, and fire, and demons, and, and, and all this other stuff. So people live in fear, you know. You can be religious, and you want to do it for a positive reason, but you're living in fear, and you're so you are then feeding these parasites globally. I mean, as a whole, the more people that focus on those things, the more we're feeding those parasites, and that is increasing the amount of, of the parasites and the, uh, the the attacks on, on the living, you know. So um, that kind of perspective is actually hurting things, and I think we should focus more on the positive things, focus on ourselves, learn who you are so you can be who you are, so you can love who you are, and you can love people around you, and therefore living in fear is irrelevant. Well, Shane, that's a great point. And I saw just what you said in the exorcism cases in the 70s all the way to the Bridgeport Poltergeist case of 1974. And uh, these people, uh, most of them had very negative spiritualities, and in that case, old-time Roman Catholic, with all due respect. Um, and it just, it, 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 I think the exorcism right fed the parasite. Yep. You know, and so there we go. So, uh, Pastor Joe, I don't know if that answered your question, but thank you. We, we love you dearly. Glad to have you um, back writing in, and um, that's uh, probably the best way we can answer at this point. We'll hear from you another three years. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully not that long. Okay, I'm afraid we're going to have to dive in. Oh, actually, um, all right, well, let's take one or two more from Facebook before we, if we have time to get into some of the longer emails here. Oh, actually, I don't think we touched these. I've been I've been no. trying to mark them actually, off. Actually, let's do this one for this is oh, okay. Good. Let's do one of the emails. This is from Doug, and I'm uh, not sure where Doug is from. Doug from Question Mark writes to us. Uh, Greetings, gentlemen. I, I recently purchased a secondhand copy uh, or a secondhand couch from a uh, local thrift store. Um, at approximately the same time, I began to notice a floral scent in my house. The couch itself has no odor whatsoever. Also, the flowery scent comes and goes at random. I'm not one to. I'm not one who would call a psychic or as you guys say you know i'm not multiversally aware but i do get the impression from time to time um in this case i have the impression that i'm sharing the same space with uh, a hispanic woman in her mid-50s i have taken your advice and have not tried to make contact with who or whatever this may be that being said i don't feel any malevolent presence in the house long story short my question is do certain odors indicate what type of entity i am dealing with um i welcome your thoughts on this and love the show keep up the good work well that's good that's actually kind of kind of interesting Yeah, kind of an in-depth question shane um I've, I've never really found anything solid when it comes to that topic i mean um well i mean smells do uh, I, of course that happens um but as far as like uh, you know a piece of furniture or something like that being associated with it, I really never solidly ran into something like that i mean where it's been suspected but you usually um it was an object that somebody bought that they knew it belonged to somebody that had passed away so it had more of a psychological effect on them they st- they thought they were seeing things but it was more their attention on the fact that they thought maybe something was attached to it and something did pop in like a parasite to play on that but um but i have Really, um, nothing to speak on as far as hmm. is what he's saying. Well, actually, I have run into this uh, quite a few times. Actually, uh, the, the aroma thing, particularly uh, the yeah, the cigar smell, the pipe yeah, the smell. cigar, the I pipe. Have too, and else. Uh, now, one thing I should bear in mind: uh, when we first moved into our house, uh, maybe twenty-two years ago in uh, Winsocket, Rhode Island, there was and it was an older house, but over a hundred years old, and there was a, a carpet that we have yet to replace. <laughs> 
just getting around to it. And uh, when it was really damp, you'd smell a cigarette smell, okay? And nobody in our family smokes. Uh, we don't have it anymore. But I think it was just, you know, the, the dampness mm. uh, before we did some work on the house was um, uh, maybe bringing that out. On the other hand, uh, there are many cases, uh, such as Doug mentions, where furniture will come into the house and there'll be different smells of this kind of, very, very often very pleasant smells, um, perfume or something like this. And in my pet theory is that these objects were part of someone or are part of someone's life in the multiverse and all things being simultaneous in the multiverse. Um, the, the I, I refer to as a consciousness wave is intersecting with your consciousness wave. And someone uh, probably loved this couch, maybe re- re- sat on it all the time, used it, and um, it was part of their lives, and is now it's part of your life, so you're going to share part of their life. So one of the manifestations of this could very well be uh, the aroma that Doug mentions. I think it might be as simple as that. Um, I remember I was on uh, The uh, Curses of New England, which was a film, oh golly, that's 2002, and we went to Newport, and I'm walking around a cemetery with, with the camera crew, and the producer was was not pleased with my approach to these phenomena. <laughs> you know, she asked me, me different, you know, spooky ghost things that happened around that area, and I'd say, well, you know, the, the multiverse, you get this, and I said, oh, my God. And uh, the suit of the famous suit of armor in one of the Newport mansions, haunted suit of armor came up, and I gave that explanation. And uh, when the, the, the show came out, I, I had like a minute of FaceTime. <laughs> this person just did not like the fact that I was not dealing with what Ben would say are spooky, scary skeletons. Right, right. right. So, <laughs> but I, I think the, 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 uh, the science, or some might say pseudoscientists, is twice as interesting as the superstition mm. on this stuff. You know? so, so I think it's very possible that uh, you have a uh, quote-unquote I'm like a haunted couch, as in our right. initial question, but uh, something that may have a paranormal uh, component in there. Yeah, I've had that. Like the same, I've had this reported to me a bunch of times from people, you know, homes I've yeah. investigated, but I've never actually experienced what they were reporting to me. So, but if I had to theorize or take a swing at it, it'd be exactly what you just described. Well, I think another another uh, aspect of uh, Doug's question is um, is dealing with an entity or not. Uh, Probably not. Right. I would say it's just a, just a, an intersect, uh, a minor overwash, we might call it. Uh, I would say to continue doing what you're doing is very wise, uh, not paying too much attention to it, right. uh, not attempting to communicate, because uh, you know everything being simultaneous, we're sharing space with everybody everywhere pretty much all the time. Anyway, and uh, I, I would say just to... Um, uh, take it um, in, in an easygoing manner and do what you're doing right now, Doug, and I think that's fine. But, you know, keep us posted if anything else uh, gets interesting. Yeah, and if you give it too much attention, if it's always playing in your internal dialogue on there's something attached to this couch or something and you're always thinking about it, you just may very well attract a parasite. So um, yeah. just just roll on and just... Yeah, exactly. Well, when you've got these intersect points, you know, that's not the only thing that you're intersecting with. There could be other things that... Yeah, so it's just, you know, as as in life in general, keep it positive. Uh, do what you're supposed to do. Love your family, uh, and, and just uh, keep it keep it as we say positive. You know. Um, okay, so uh, let's. Um, all right, here's another question. Ben is doing his producer thing here, so I'll read this. This is from Megan in Rentham, Massachusetts, right in our listening area. Is it possible for a car or other inanimate object to be haunted? I heard you on TV talking about the haunted suit of armor in Newport. I, I honestly, maybe I, I don't know. I, I didn't 
read this beforehand, so that's a funny coincidence. <laughs> that is coincidence. Yeah, if, if there is such a thing as coincidence. Anyway, yeah, so I think Megan, I, I don't know, we, we would just sort of respond the way we, we did to, to Doug, uh, that, um, it is possible to do this. And, and the haunted suit of armor thing, um, in, in, uh, what's the mansion? It's, uh, Mrs. Tinney owns it. Um, Marble House? Or, or, uh, no, it's not Marble House. Um, I, I don't want to speculate unless I'm sure, but it's one of the great mansions in Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, there are a number of objects in here that are supposedly haunted, but particularly the suit of armor. Uh, the suit of armor in question um, was pretty much decorative, not aware that it was used in the Crusades or anything. Uh, so there wouldn't be too many uh, negative uh, warlike um, aspects to it as far as I'm aware. But uh, I think uh, just, again, you're, you're uh, encountering something that belonged to someone that maybe meant a lot to them uh, and uh, does belong to them in parallel worlds where there's, that's still going on. And uh, you have um, intersect points there where, where you're just uh, sharing that consciousness. I think it's just Who is it, uh, James Dean or the, his car that he, he died? Oh, yes. That has a pretty strange history behind it. I can't recall the details, yes. but it's been a while since I read it, but well, it's he died quite in the history. He died in an accident. Right. An automobile that, accident in 1953, yeah. I believe, and uh, he, uh, in California, and the car has been weird ever since. Yes. Like, it has <laughs> been preserved, so. Uh, but no, but that's, that's not, that's a common story. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Um, okay, well, let's, uh, let's go to uh, Susie in North Platte, Nebraska. That's a railroad town, isn't it? I just discovered your show and your books, and I'm very interested in your argument that the government is covering up not only UFOs, but Bigfoot and maybe other paranormal encounters. Have you considered the idea that not only is this or that agency concealing information about the paranormal from us, but maybe from other agencies? There is a lot of competition among government agencies and and the military branches. What do you think of this idea? Uh, I've heard Paul mention that private industry also has a hand in the cookie jar. I think that's an important factor, too. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, that is, uh, is the cover-ups... Well, first of all, let's deal with it level by level. There's a lot of evidence that, that I've seen that there is an attempt to cover up uh, just about every... Except maybe ghosts. I mean, you can't... Ghosts are ubiquitous. You really can't cover them up. But Bigfoot... Well, you can you can cover them up by changing cultural attitudes about it. Well, you know that's very true. You know yeah. whether whether it's by by dumb media, reality TV, anything like that. Yep. You know, it's, you can't you can't cover it up, but you can change the perspective of it. That's a very good point. And why would we want to change the perspective on any of this uh, to keep people away from the idea that this multiverse thing is true? That's just my my thought. Uh, and that um, you know, if people that that would really turn society upside down. Uh, you know, if if the if the aliens are, are the UFO are far, from far away, even if they're visiting, that's fine. But if they're kind of right next to us in these parallel worlds all the time, that would really scare people and might really create uh, some sort of upheaval. So that, that's my idea anyway. So that might be why all aspects of the paranormal are being covered up or, as Ben points out, uh, uh, misdirected at times. Uh, any thoughts, fellas, on, on that? I have a story that I, I heard recently that was seemed very, very credible uh, from somebody credible, but there was a gentleman who uh, came across what he said was a, a eight-foot-tall dog man, and um, he, he called the sheriff, who he knew. It was a small town, and um, and, and called him. It was the chief police or sheriff or whatever, and and, and the, the guy acted like... Um, he 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 understood what like like he maybe he had his own experience. Uh, the witness said that it seemed like that police officer um, 
knew what he was talking about but didn't come out and say it so and then uh, the police officer said you know i know who to contact we'll be in touch and so he contacted whoever he did they showed up a day or two later um with the the, sh- uh, the sheriff or whoever it was a police officer with men in military fatigues and, and machine guns and whatnot they spread out throughout the the woods um they set off he, he what he thought was might maybe some kind of frequency or or um sound generator that he couldn't hear but his dog went uh, he had a uh, canine a, a dog his dog went absolutely bananas like crying and trying to you know hide under stuff and it was driving his dog crazy and he said please please you're hurting my dog you know so after a little while it stopped the dog went back to normal they they all came back out of the woods and said you're going to be you won't see this thing again but if but do not talk about it do not say a word it will be back and it, it was quite the story, but it was very believable. I'm a yeah. pretty good read on on people, and this guy definitely believed what he was saying. Yeah. So. Well, I know in the military, uh, but I think particularly the U.S. Coast Guard uh, in the 80s, we were in the quote unquote Bermuda Triangle and operations down there during and after the Grenada uh, affair of 1983-84. And uh, the, the general word to us, at least to me, was because I guess maybe somebody knew I was into this. Was uh, you know if you have a there's any kind of weird sighting uh, underwater or in the air, uh, straight up the chain of command and you never mention it again, okay? And uh, I never had to do that, but I talked to people who did uh, for in various situations, and uh, that was they said they never heard of it again. It just went straight up and presumably to the Pentagon. Now I was taking photos, intelligence photos that I, that I never heard from again, you know, and I expected I didn't expect to. They went straight up and who knows where. Um, you know, the Cubans and all this business. Mm. So, uh, so Cubans and UFOs, uh, <laughs> straight up the chain of command. Anyway. So anyway, that was, uh, that was that. So, um, uh, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, the idea of, of, uh, agencies competing against one another is very real. I've seen that. Anybody who's worked in any capacity around the government has, has seen that. And, um, I think that that's a real, a real thing. Like, for some reason, the Navy Department seems to have a lot of control over, uh, information about particularly UFOs and maybe the paranormal in general, if if if, the, if I'm interpreting it correctly, I don't know why. Maybe they were the first ones who got there uh, for that information. So uh, I think that that's true. There may be things that the the in government, the right hand half the time doesn't know what the left hand's doing. It's not some big monolithic um, organization where everybody knows everything. Well, the military also broke into a bunch of different branches too after yeah. World War Two. Mm. So, or was it after World War Two when they? Because initially it was the OSS into the CIA and all like that. No, well, I, I mean, what like, do you mean broke into? Well, I mean, you know, because the the Air Force was initially part of the Army. But yeah, then, in 1947, it became a separate service. Yeah. Exactly. Then Navy was always a separate service, but it, I yeah. think I think. But it Navy also has is, its own army and its own air force. <laughs> ironically, rather inefficient. Actually. Yeah, but I think I think maybe it has something to do with. Um, well, think of it like this, right? So the Earth is 75% oceans, correct? Well, more than that, actually. Yeah, it's more than that. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like almost like 80% oceans. Yeah, well, it's a lot of ocean. It's a lot of ocean. And a lot of it's un- unexplored that we know of. So there's a lot of places to hide things. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Makes the most sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the, uh, the, old, the headline... Uh, when I was the Providence Journal, China is hiding its submarines in the in the ocean. I mean, <laughs> I mean, where else would you hide? You know, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't write that headline. Any, anyhow, 
Um, so yeah, I think that the, the dealing with the government is uh, on multi is, is efficiency and inefficiency on multi levels uh, with people who uh, very often are, are very dedicated public servants, other, others of, of whom have no incentive whatsoever to do well. Well, it's, it's the best kept secrets if you know well, precisely, nobody knows yeah. what's going on. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. No, that's true. There's a certain factor there. Anyway, uh, okay, we haven't. Uh, how much time do we have? Eh, a little less than seven minutes. Oh boy. I'm going to have to leave a few of these emails because they're long. Um, okay, yeah, uh, here's, here's, here's a housekeeping one. Okay, I think we can probably cover that. Alrighty, so very quickly from JC writing to us. Uh, I just recently discovered you and your show. I am uh, currently listening from be- from the beginning, and I'm just about through 2008. Is there an archive for the old shows, uh, old show talking points? I have not been able to find it anywhere, uh, and I would like to see the pictures you were talking about. Thank you. Okay, yes. Uh, just for those who uh, follow us on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, there is, uh, we have been, we've been migrating that old site to a new one for two years now at least. And um, I'm kind of anal that way. I insist on designing and maintaining the websites myself. And uh, we, the, the, the talking points page, and we just started a new one. Uh, if there are any, it's very difficult to talk about photos on the radio. We can show them if people are watching on a device that, that gets the in-studio video feed. Yeah, that's the problem. But if you're just listening that. on a radio, you can't see it. So we put it on a talking points page and with the photos or, or the, the books, the authors, anything like that. Uh, incidents and things, news reports. Uh, and the old ones for the past, uh, I guess for about at least nine years, uh, have not been migrated yet. And we intend to do that as soon as we can, or uh, as soon as I can. Uh, but it's not going to be speedy. But we will eventually get get them up on the Talking Points page for previous years. Uh, so that they are not available right now. We do apologize for that, and we, we will get to that as soon as we can. Okay. Was there ever a time where we didn't do Talking Points? No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. But I'm trying to remember. Because yeah, so I'm we're going back to 08. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be it's going to be quite the project. But yeah, <laughs> we will separate them by year as we do the archives, and you'll be able to go in and to see the talking points page for particular shows. There might be some redesign of how that's done, but uh, it's it's. I'm afraid it's not going to be tomorrow. All right. So all right. Fair okay. enough. Okay. So um, I guess that kind of kind of. Okay. Down to the wire here. Well, thank you, everyone who wrote in. Uh, we just, as I say, we could do every show uh, as open lines and not get to some of this stuff. But uh, <clears throat> very good questions, and uh, which uh, demonstrate the intelligence of our listeners, and uh, we're very, very uh, grateful for you. And uh, thank you so much. So let's um, uh, get into. We've got some uh, events going on here that we didn't have last week, and why don't we get on to our announcements, Ben? Why don't you start? Sure. So uh, for any of your unusual friends or relatives, loved ones, whoever. Uh, who have a taste for the weird and the unexplained, try giving them an autographed copy of one of our books. Our latest titles include Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, uh, and then Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard Of. They're available from online re- retailers and uh, in uh, some stores as well. But autographed copies, you can go to BehindTheParanormal.com and... Uh, uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, so if you have <laughs> if you have you have someone who someone in your life that's a little bit on the on the weird side, <laughs> then yeah. consider giving them one of our books. <laughs> sure. Um, our first event of 2019 will be oh Happy New Year to everyone by the way. Oh yeah, Happy yeah, New Year. I forgot about that. Yeah. 
Uh, our first event of 2019 will be the fourth annual Book Lovers Author Expo at the Cumberland Public Library, Rhode Island, on Saturday, February 16th from 1 to 4 p.m. There will be uh, other southeastern New England authors of both fiction and nonfiction present. Now, we're not going to make any particular presentation, but, but we're happy to meet and greet anyone who comes and will sign our books. Um, information is at cumberlandlibrary.org. When you get there, just look for the calendar, and uh, February 16th uh, will be the day. Indeed, and on uh, April 23rd, uh, we'll be back at the uh, Pros- Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut for a presentation, and we'll keep you posted as uh, details develop. And Shane, what's going on with you? Oh, boy. A whole oh, bunch I of stuff. What is <laughs> taking up the rest of the show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, real quick. Um, in the last four days, I've been, man, just bombarded with, with um Invites to other people's shows, but I got I, when I leave here, I'm going home to do an, another one from uh, somebody out of the UK. UK but um, but just go to you look me up on Facebook and go to my wall. Even if we're not friends, it's all public. You can see a list of some of the stuff I'll be doing in the near future, and also the conference coming up that Paul's about to talk about. Yeah, well, you're great. You deserve it, and it's about time you know people start noticing more people who notice you, the better. Um, and thank you so much for coming down so often, all the way from New yeah, Hampshire. Honestly. Yeah, honestly. Anytime, yeah. anytime. We're so grateful to you, <laughs> Shane. Anyway, hot on the trail of these events is a new one we're especially excited about, and not only because we won't have to drive for hours to get there, the yeah. X- X-Filers United 2019 Convention, set for April 26th to 28th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. This is a fan oh, convention. That's where my prom was. What? That was where my prom was. Oh, well, memory lane. Yeah, kind of weird, huh? (laughs) Anyway, it's a fan convention covering all areas of the paranormal, UFOs, ghost phenomena, cryptids, and more, along with Ben and myself. Speakers will include none other than Shane Searway, uh, filmmaker Alexander Petikoff, UFO researcher and experiencer Mike Stevens, along with America's youngest recognized cryptid expert, Colin Schneider, who's been on the show, famous medium Gary McKinstry, author Susan Brunell, UFO experiencer Tom Reed has been on the show, too, and a number of other big names. We'll give you more details as they firm up. Firm up. The website is xfilersunited.com. Uh, Shane, you already mentioned all the wonderful stuff you've got going on. Um, and you're going to be with us. Uh, the more you're with us, the more we like it. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, My next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds and God, and too many ends in there. It will be published in hardcover this year, and we'll keep you posted on a release date. It looks like it's going to be in the fall. Already also on our show website, uh, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and uh, you'll find over 800 free recorded shows from our 10-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, there are also links to several charities Ben and I have adopted. Uh, we check these charities out very carefully, and we usually know the people who run them. Uh, it includes USA Cares. Org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, that's a really good one, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, our great friend uh, Tony LeRae out there doing great stuff with the, with the, uh, the uh, at-risk youth there, uh, and uh, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. Uh, so, Ben, what do the fates have in store for us next week? So, the Norns uh, have for us uh, on January 13th, we are going to be here on WON. Uh, 12.40 a.m. and 99.3 f.m. We will bring you a first-time guest, uh, Tom Spitaleri, who I'm surprised this is the first time he's actually been on. Yeah. We've known him for years. Yes. Um, a prominent New England uh, paranormal investigator to talk about the ghost scene in 2019. Well, the thing with Tom is that he's an open... He, he's a traditionalist 
ghost hunter type guy, but he is very um, open-minded, and that's why we get along with him so well. So we leave you this afternoon with a rather beautiful thought from 19th century and 20th century Indian poet Rabindranath Tagore. Let your life lightly dance on the edges of time like dew on the tip of a leaf. Hmm. And um, it's very poetic. Yes, it is. I, I actually, well, he was a poet. Oh, well, there yeah, we so go. <laughs> so again, uh, thanks to all who wrote in. Thank you to Shane for coming all the way to uh, uh, Rhode Island here again. And uh, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with 